Okay, good evening, everybody. Efrelich Nechanaka. It's a special opportunity to be back here again. Bishus the Roshe Kolel, and all my chaverim looking around the room. Many uh, good friends here. The, uh, the goal of tonight is to, Amir Tashem, share with you an idea that we could think about as we say Hallel every day. The end of the last paragraph of Hallel, we say, Mikimi yorim evyon. That a Kaddish Baruch Hu raises up the doll, the impoverished, and may ashpos yorim evyon, and from the garbage, a Kaddish Baruch Hu uplifts the evyon, the destitute. What can we be mechavein when saying that pasuk during the, uh, the Shevach and the Hodov Hallel? In a relationship, in a marriage, or in any other form of connection, oftentimes, if you say something that you regret, it might change the dynamic of that relationship forever. Right? In a marriage, for example, there are definitely words that should be off-limits. And therefore, no matter how much tension there is right now, no matter how disappointed I may be in you or in the conversation we're having, certain things I know I should not say. And if I don't control myself and I let it out, it's not easy to climb back out of that pit. And it could very well be decades later, on some nuanced level, things have never been the same because of that one word or that one phrase or that one shtach that I couldn't hold myself back from. When we think about our relationship with Hashem, what are the things or what are the words that might fit into that category? where it's not just a mistake right here and now, but it's something that's so severe, that's so damaging, that's so destructive, that it could theoretically be there for the rest of my life. And the way that I feel towards Hashem, and even more devastatingly, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels towards me, perhaps will never be the same. What are some examples of those things regarding our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? There's an interesting correlation we find between the Yontif of Sukkis and the celebration of Hanukkah. I think on the most Pashib shot, the correlation is when do you finally take down the Sukkah? That's Hanukkah time. We still have our Schachab, but Amrit Hashem, Zos Hanukkah is Miyuchad, it's Mesugal. It's a special day for taking down the Sukkah. I'll share with you a couple of sources. I'd like to analyze this briefly. And I think by getting to that nuance, that kernel, that bosses that connects Hanukkah and Sukkot, we might have a deeper appreciation of what exactly we're celebrating. And then every morning when we say, Mikimi Adal, it could be more meaningful, it could be more uplifting. We know the famous debate, the Machlokis and Shabbos, regarding what is Mahadrin and Mahadrin? What is the most ideal way of lighting the menorah? And Beis Hillel tells us famously, Holech v'Mosef, Mosech v'Holech. You start with one, and every day you add another candle. And Beis Shammai says the exact opposite. You start with eight, 
and then every day you diminish until the last day of Hanukkah you only have one there. There are two different re- ways of understanding this machlokis in the Gemara. What exactly is the opinion of Beis Hillel and what is the machlokis between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai? So the more accepted approach, it seems from the Gemara itself, is that Beis Hillel was of the opinion, Mylin the Kodesh ve'ein Maridin, which means we always go up when it comes to Kedusha. And therefore, just like levels of sanctity, the same thing is true when it comes to being Mosif in the candles. Mylin Bekodesh Ve'in Meridin. And Beishamai tells us that we want to make the candle lighting mitzvah analogous to the Pariachag. The Pariachag and Sukkot, we know every day of the eight days we brought a special carbon, and we would have this diminishing number of carbonos every single day. So in order to keep that parallel between the lighting of the menorah and the karbonos that were brought on Sukkot, Beishamai was of the opinion, we have to start with eight and then go down one every single day. Beis Hillel doesn't say back to Beishamai, what are you talking about? Why in the world do you care that it has to be somewhat similar to Sukkot? This is a whole different yontif. This has no shaykhis. This has nothing to do with Sukkot. He doesn't say that. His opinion is, I hear what you're saying, I understand that connection, but I feel there's an overriding logic, but what is that connection between Hanukkah and Sukkot? It's interesting, the first real nevuah that we have about the miracles of Hanukkah come from the Novi Chagai. Chagai lived in the beginning of the Bayesheni, the second temple period, and uh, it's a short safer, but in the beginning of the second parak, Haggai speaks about a very special nevuah. Let's read this together, source number two. This is as they've uh, been granted permission to go back to Yerushalayim after the 70 years of the Golis Bavel, and now they're beginning to rebuild. Bashvi'i on the seventh month, Ba'esrim ve'echad lechodesh on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Hashem came to Chagai saying as follows. So what does that mean, the seventh month, the 21st of that month? What day is that on the Jewish calendar? That's Hoshana Rabbah. That's the last day of Sukkot officially. So Chagai gets this particular prophecy on the last day of Sukkot, and he says, B'Shem Hashem, Turning to the, the older segment of the population, how many of you were here who were actually Zoha to see the first Beis HaMikdash? And now you're looking at the beginning of the Bayasheni, which is nothing in contrast to what the Bayas Rishon was. So Chagai is telling Klal Yisrael, it's the older generation, this must be very disappointing. However, he gives them chizik, he encourages the Jewish people. Again, quoting from Hashem, that just like I was with you when we all left Mitzrayim, Veruchi omedis besochachem, and my ruach, I was together with you, my presence was bringing you out. Al tiro'u do not fear. Because so says the Kaddish Baruch Od achas ma'ati, 
in a little bit, not right now, but in a few hundred years, I am going to shake up the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake things up. What is Hashem referring to? So Rashi explains, as well as the Radak, this was right after the downfall of Malchus Poros, after the Persian Empire that was the world power at the time, really began its descent, the next world power that was on the rise was Greece, was Malchus Yovan. Chagai is saying that there is this other nation that's growing stronger, that's gaining more control and influence in the region. They are becoming the next world power, and their intent is They want to rule over you. They want to cause you distress. However, marish, but the prophecy is, I will shake things up in the future. Zakhtar Rashi explains Rashi, Benisim Hanasim That's a direct reference to the miracles that will happen in the times of the Chashmonayim. So again, we see this very mystifying correlation between the Yontif of Sukkot and the miracles of Hanukkah. The prophecy regarding Hanukkah takes place at the Yontif of Sukkot. But it's not just Beis Shammai, it's not only Chagai Hanavi, it's the Torah itself that seems to teach us some very unique, intimate connection between these two special times. In Parshas Emor, after the listing of all the Moadim, so... Sukkim tell us about the mitzvah of the holiday of Sukkot, the obligation of living in a Sukkot. Then right afterwards, the beginning of the next chapter, now we know the chapters themselves were not part of the Mesorah, right? They came much later on from, from non-Jewish sources. But when you look at the actual Chumash, right after Kaddish Baruch Hu is teaching us about the Yantav of Sukkis, Vayadabra Hashem Moshe Lemor, Hashem speaks to Moshe saying, Tzavis B'nai Yisrael v'yikhu elecha shemen zayezoch. Take for yourselves pure olive oil, crushed up for what mitzvah? For the mitzvah of the Ner Tamid. Says the Baal HaTurim, what is the juxtaposition between the mitzvah of Shemin Zayas and Sukkah? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us a little bit of a glimpse. This is one of the Ramazim in the Torah itself a hint to the Yontif of Hanukkah. Just like you say the complete Hallel for all eight days of Sukkot, you're going to say the complete Hallel for all eight days of Hanukkah. So it's not just Beis Shammai, it's not just Chagai Hanavi, but it's the Kodesh Baruch Hu B'chvodu Ba'asmo is teaching us there's something going on over here. If someone was to ask you the question, why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. I'm not even asking the question of the base Yosef. Why eight and not seven? But why do we have eight days? Where did that come from? 
What would 99.9% of the Jewish population answer to that question? Mordechai. You're taking way too long to answer the question. <laughs> because the, the ner, the pach shemin, lasted for eight days. Right? That, that's what the Gemara says. It's pretty simple. That's what we learn about in elementary school. The pach shemin lasted for eight days. The truth is, it sounds like from a few different sources that may not have been the initial reason why they established eight days of Hanukkah. In the Seder Hadoros, and this is going back to the early 18th century, the Seder Hadoros gives us really the historical uh, documentation of all of the major events that took place in history. He goes through the famous personalities and their svarim. So when he speaks about the miracle of Hanukkah, source number six, he writes as follows. This is uh, the second to last line, quoting from earlier sources. Yan Kodim Lachain, the reason why they established eight days of Hanukkah, is because during the persecution of the Greeks, they were not allowed to make sukkahs. They were not, they were, they were ossered from celebrating the Yantif of sukkahs because of their oppressors. How many years were we kicked out of the Beis HaMikdash for when the Greeks took over? Three years. So we weren't able to celebrate the Yontif of Sukkot. What else were we also not able to celebrate? Everything! If we're out of the base of Migdash for three years, that means every single Yontif, every single carbon, every single Musaf, it was bottle. They took it over, they didn't destroy it, but they turned it into a temple for Zeus. The ultimate disgrace was made of the base of Migdash. But yet, as soon as the miracle of Hanukkah takes place, we get back to base of Migdash. Let's celebrate this Yanta for eight days because we weren't able to celebrate Sukkot. Our Hashulchan, also quoting the same Mesorah, the same tradition, he's bothered by the very obvious question, how does this fit with the Gemara? The Gemara says pretty clearly, the eight days comes from the fact that miraculously the Pach Shemin, that only had enough oil for one day, lasted for eight. So the Shulchan says, no, initially they had in mind eight days corresponding to Sukkot. That was even before the miracle of the oil took place. They were victorious, they saw the Yad Hashem, they felt the HaKadosh Baruch Hu's guiding hand, and they wanted to celebrate in their Koveya. They established Hanukkah as a Yantif. And then, like the Gemara tells us, then we had this amazing miracle of the oil lasting for longer than it was supposed to. That they viewed as a simen minashamayim. This was a divine sign that our establishment, our, our, our harashara, our estimation of eight days, was the proper way to celebrate but that wasn't the Siba, that wasn't the reason for eight days. It was Hashem giving us a little pat on the back. Well done, young men. Good choice. So there's something very, very unique and special about Hanukkah and Sukkot. What is that thread that connects these two special times? Parenthetically, 
this approach does answer the famous question of the Beis Yosef. Right? The famous question is, why do we have to celebrate eight days if the miracle itself was only officially seven? There wasn't enough oil for one day. The technical answer could be, very simply, because that wasn't really what it was about. In the Al-Hanisim, when we speak about the establishment of the Yantif, although we mentioned v'hidliku neros b'chadras kachacha, there's no discussion, there's no allusion to the fact that there is a, a miracle that happened. It just says, V'kavush monos elu. And it could very well be, because this is referring to before the actual miracle of the Shemin took place. There is a, a very chash of Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Yaakov Naiman. He was the Rosh Yeshiva in uh, Petach Tikva and the Yeshiva Or Sameach, or Yisrael rather. And the boys generally were very serious, very into the, uh, the learning. One young man, his name was Yehuda, he came from a very from family, but he was having a difficult time in yeshiva. It wasn't going so smoothly. And one of Yehuda's friends approaches Rav Naiman and says, listen, Rebbe, I, I don't like being a snitch, but I have to tell you what's going on. Really, Yehuda's ditching night seder, Motzei Shabbos, and he is meeting up with friends. He's hanging out with, with the wrong crowd. He's going to movies and doing other things that, that the Bachrim were encouraged not to uh, participate in. So the Rosh Hashiva said back, do me a favor. Next time you hear about him making plans, please let me know. No, Rebbe, I can't do that. I, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus. He said, listen, I'm not going to mention your name, and we're all working together for Yehuda's benefit. Please let me know. I want to try to help. So it happens to be that next Motzi Shabbos, the young man goes back to the Rosh Hashiva and says, I did hear Yehuda schmoozing about plans that he's taking the uh, number two bus and going down to Ben Yehuda. Rosh Hashiva says, thank you so much for the information. Right after Shabbos is over, Rav Naiman gets a taxi, he goes down to Ben Yehuda Street, knowing that he'll definitely beat the bus by 10 minutes or so. And before he leaves, being a cold winter night in Yerushalayim, he puts on his very heavy, very hush of fur coat, long fur coat. He's now standing there in the middle of the hustle and bustle, young men and women enjoying themselves on a Saturday night. And the number two bus pulls up, and people are coming out. Lo and behold, Yehuda on his way out, he sees his Rosh Hashiva standing there. Hat, fur coat, and You can imagine Yehuda's face. He was white, he was pale, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. He didn't know what to say. Rosh Hashiva said, Good vach, Yehuda. Speechless. He said, Yehuda, it's freezing outside. You don't even have a sweatshirt with you. You don't have a jacket. Speechless. So Rav Naiman takes off his big fur coat. He says, do me a favor. Just promise me you're going to keep this on you throughout the entire evening. Keep it on you. He takes off the coat, puts it around Yehuda, buttons it, gives Yehuda a big hug and a kiss, and says, good vach. Gets back in the taxi and goes back to the yeshiva. Yehuda, when he tells over this story, he says, that fur coat 
Although I felt extremely awkward wearing it the entire evening, but I wouldn't take it off, Mashiva said not to. But I could still feel that hug, I could still feel that embrace of the fur coat now many decades later. There's a famous machlokis in the Gemara and Kedushin between Rabbi Huda and Rameyer, that when the Torah tells us, that we're viewed as Hashem's children. Is this conditional? Is this based on how we behave and how we observe the mitzvahs? Or do we say, no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we are always viewed as Hashem's children? Rabbi Yehuda says, When you're acting like children, then then you're considered, you're viewed as children to Hashem. However, but if you're not knowing, you don't act like a child, then you're not considered Hashem's children. That's Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Rameir comes along and says, No matter what, even if we're deviating from the Derech HaTorah, we're always viewed as a Kodesh Baruch Hu's children. This sounds like a very strange, very radical, very extreme machlokis. If you were to ask any observant Jew, do you believe that Hashem loves you unconditionally? Hopefully the answer would be, yes. That's the same guy who thinks Hanukkah's eight days because of the Shemin, right? <laughs> but we all believe that a Kaddish Baruch Hu loves us unconditionally. What exactly is this machlokis? They're mamish arguing over this massive hashkafa in, in whether Hashem kind of looks the other way and no longer wants anything to do with us if we're not listening to His instructions. So some of the, the Sifrei Machshava explain that of course both Rabbi Yehuda and Rameir agree that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is never going to abandon us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu never leaves Klal Yisrael nationally and individually we have a Kesher Shel Kayama, we have a lasting relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Perhaps the Machlokas here is when we deviate, when we ignore HaKadosh Baruch Hu's instructions, does that have any impact whatsoever on the relationship? Hashem's always there for us. Hashem's always holding our hand. But does that take away, does that chip away a little bit at the bond between me and the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Rabbi Huda says, yeah, <laughs> obviously Hashem still loves you, but, but He can't view you in the same way, so to speak. There's a mechitza that you've created. And Rameir says, Bein kachu, bein kach, Hashem meaning, even if you're totally ignoring and disrespecting a Kaddish Baruch Hu, is, is Hashem happy with you? Are you giving the Borei Olam Nachas? Of course not. Does Hashem have clear expectations of what He wants from you? Yeah. But it doesn't take away the relationship. It doesn't chip away at that connection. How do we paskin, by the way? Not to get involved with what does that even mean? What is it relevant? There's a Chuvas Arashba that says, even though generally when you have a debate between Rabbi Yehuda and Rameh, we paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, this is one of the exceptions. We paskin like Rameh. Meaning, even when you are deviating, you're not impacting the relationship. How does Hashem view it? 
when, when we're involved with Averos. How does Hashem view me when, when I'm in a time of Yerida, where I'm not, I'm not inspired, I'm not doing what I did a few years ago? And there's a Rashi in the beginning of Parshish Masai where he quotes the Medrash Tanchuma explaining the reason why the Chumash lists all the different journeys of Klal Yisrael is just like a father who's taking his son he, who was not well, he was sick, and he was taking his son to try to find a refua for him. And then finally, when his son gets better, and they're walking back home, they had this long journey. So then they, they look at all the places, and the father says, Wow, here we slept. Here you had that terrible headache. Over here you were freezing cold. Remember that? Remember that boy chick? That's why Hashem feels it necessary to repeat all of the places that Klal Yisrael traveled. The Maral explains, Mishum love because Hashem's infinite, unconditional love for Klal Yisrael, Hashem was pointing out all the places we weren't feeling well. What does that mean we weren't feeling well? Does that mean we were physically ill, emotionally, psychologically? What does that mean? These were the places that Klal Yisrael were involved with, with hate. These were all the places of Merida, of, of rebellion. These were the places that symbolize a lack of gratitude, a lack of basic Hakar Satov. All of these places are being pointed out because here you, Klal Yisrael, sinned, you failed. But how does Hashem view it as we're walking back home? He doesn't take it personally, so to speak. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't like when I do a hate, not because it offends him, but because I'm hurting myself. The same exact way a father feels when his child is not well. That same compassion, that same desire to do anything humanly possible to bring a refuah, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels, so to speak, when we're involved with hate. Bein kachu, bein kach, banim I had the opportunity one time, I was in a uh, pediatric oncology floor and there was a boy together with his parents who were leaving and they were saying goodbye to the nurses and some of the medical staff and it turns out this boy was going for treatment for a while and today was his last day. And, and I saw firsthand what this Rashi looks like in real life. Right, the father and the mother are walking into the different rooms. Remember, we came here that late Saturday night, and we had to get that infusion, and they're saying goodbye to this person. That's mamish the exact same way HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels when he sees us shakua, when he sees us saturated in chait. There's, there's nothing I take offense to, but I feel for you. That's bein kachu, bein kach, banam Sukkis, the Groh explains famously, Sukkis is not the celebration of the Anani HaKavod. Sukkis is the celebration of the return of the Anani HaKavod. They left during the Chet We had them when we left Mitzrayim. They were there to protect us and to comfort us. Once we fell during the Chet then the Anani HaKavod left. When did they return? After Klal Yisrael was Zochet Tshuva, 
after Yom Kippur, and as we were about to start the process of building the Mishkan, then those clouds came back. The celebration of Sukkot, the, the 15th of Tishrei, is not a commemoration of the Ananiya Kabod, it's a, a commemoration of Hashem's acceptance of our tshuva. Why do we celebrate the Ananiya Kabod? Explains the, the Beis Elohim, the Mabit. There were so many other miracles that took place. We celebrate the Ananiya Kabod because those were the one thing we didn't really need. We needed the Mon, we needed the Be'er Shel Miriam, we needed to survive. Those were essential. The Ananiya Kabod we could have survived without. That was in the Shika. That was Hashem's hug. I just want you to be comfortable. I don't want you to have to have all these bugs around you. I don't want it to be cold in the evenings or hot during the day. That's the celebration of Sukkot. Says the Panei Yeshua, this is the exact same theme. Obviously, every Yontif has its own dimension, its own many multiple layers of meaning. But says the Panei Yeshua, what's the great celebration of this narrow lasting for eight days? We didn't really need it. Because Kalal Yisrael, at this point in history, because the Greeks said, you should write on the Karen Hashor that you have no chalik belokei Yisrael, you have no relationship with Hashem. Why the, why the Karen Hashor? Right, could you imagine that meeting around the, the conference room with Antiochus sitting there and all the generals, and they're, they're talking about what different decree should we place upon the Jewish people, bris and limit HaTorah, and one guy raises his hand and says, Let's make them all right on the horn of an ox that they no longer have any connection with Hashem. And the room was silent. Right? Marvin, can you please try to stay on task over here? All of your silly ideas, you're, you're crazy. Explains the morale. They did this bedafka. There was a real evil here. They wanted us to feel that because the Karen Hashor, because of the Cheda Egel, we were no longer the Amanivcher. We were no longer And the tragic part of that was that we started to believe that message. Explains the Pnei Yeshua. The nace of the Nair, this is the very last line of number 13, says the Pnei Yeshua. It was an Eisrotzon lehodia shechozru lechibosan harishona. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just wanted to show Klal Yisrael, it's true, you did fail. It's true, right here, you have so many Jews who are falling prey to the, uh, the illusion of Greek society, but you're back right where you left off from. It didn't impact the relationship with Ki The underlining theme of both Hanukkah and Sukkot shares this message, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us probably one of the most important ideas we should take as a nation. That even though we fall, even though we sin, even though we fail, I want you back. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking off that big fur coat and embracing us with it. Don't ever think you lose anything in the relationship between me and you. So what do we have in mind? Every day of the eight days of Hanukkah, Mikimi Meofadal, Meashpois Yarim Avion, explains the Gra, and I think now with this background we could appreciate what the Gra is saying. We say, Kodesh Baruch Hu, he raises up the poor, the impoverished. Who are the impoverished? Says the Gra, those who are Dal She'ein Lo Klum. I cannot say that I have anything to show. I cannot take necessarily pride or pleasure in my accomplishments. 
but you raise me up. I'm, I'm poor. May Ashpos Yorim Evion, says the Gra. This is referring to someone, right? Ashpos garbage. Shimatunaf Ba'averos. I am mamish, disgusting with Averos. I, I have the, the schmutz of, 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 of Isser on me. But what do I have to show? But I want to get out of this mess. I want to raise myself up. And therefore I have charata. I'm crying in Kaddosh Baruch Hu, Please bring me back to you. Hashem Hashem lifts us up. Where, where does he take me? Is it now okay? You, you can be over here. I'm going to have Rachmanus on you. Not the same as it was before. Okay, but you're trying to do tshuva. Says the Gra, Lahoshivi im nedivim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if you're doing tshuva, you're sincere. I don't care that you were in the Ashba yesterday. I'm going to bring you up to the level of the Ovos. Im nedive amo, to the, the, the nobles of my people, to the tzaddikim. I want you back because really, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you never left. Maybe I'm disappointed in some of the decisions you've made, but we should be Zoha Mitzashem this Hanukkah. As we're celebrating, as we're singing Shira, as we're saying Mikimi Miofar Dal, to feel that unconditional love of a Kadosh Baruch Hu and to try to internalize that as much as humanly possible. If Hashem could have unconditional love for me, then maybe I could have unconditional love for you. Maybe we could spread that love like we spread the light of Hanukkah. Wishing everyone a Freilich and Hanukkah.